At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 18 years ago, new head coach Pete Carroll revolutionized the USC attack by hiring the mastermind behind the high-flying, pass-happy BYU offense. Norm Chow helped pave the way for three Heisman trophies and a pair of national championships, a result embattled head coach Clay Helton can only dream of for new offensive coordinator Graham Harrell. Saturday afternoon in Provo, the new OC visits the stomping grounds of the old OC, with the air raid looking to gain altitude after an explosive takeoff against Stanford. It's the Trojans, it's the Cougars, it's the first road trip of the year. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is 5 and 7 and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 332, coming to you on Thursday, September 12th. We are going to preview USC and BYU, coming at you Saturday afternoon on ABC and ESPN. The Trojans looking to run their season record to 3-0 while the BYU Cougars look to get their first home win of the season. We're going to preview it, open up the mailbag, and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansighted.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1USC Sucker What's Bruin Show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. It is the first road trip of the year. I'm super pumped. We're about to throw like 2,000 miles on our odometer and it is going to be a grand old time. Yeah, I'm excited. I haven't packed yet. So that's... You might want to do that. That's weighing on me a little bit. Not going to lie. But uh, I'm looking forward to uh, going and picking up some snacks. Like my favorite thing about a road trip is the excuse to have snacks. So... That is that a weird thing to look forward to at this point? No, I think you, you gotta have you gotta have your Cheez-Its. Yes. Uh, you need Ritz crackers and cheese whiz. Uh, that's not great driving food. No, see, I beg to differ. As a kid, uh, we'd go camping, and my mom would be in the back seat, and she'd have the Ritz crackers, and she'd put on the cheese whiz, and she'd hand it over to us. Ah, and it was great. So if it's a team effort, 
that works. Yeah, for sure. See, I've mostly done solo road trips, and uh, my go-to is Cheez-Its, a energy drink of some variety, usually a Mountain Dew Kickstart, maybe a Starbucks refresher, and a Starbucks Frappuccino. And then uh, most recently, I did one with some Oreo Thins, pistachio flavor, which are amazing. But Why would you have pistachio-flavored Oreos? Pistachio-flavored Oreos are the best Oreos. Sadly, my local grocery store doesn't carry them. So I'm kind of bummed out that I'm not going to be able to have That's called a good grocery store. Nah, They're no. looking out for you. They I'm are little, absolutely looking out for I'm you. a little bummed, but I think I am going to go ahead and get... I always bring some sort of like gummy, like fruity gummy kind of thing. I usually decide on the day. Sometimes it's like Sour Patch Kids. Sometimes it's the random generic peach rings that you find in, in like a random generic... Uh, uh, gas station or something like that so i don't know i could go with bugles actually one time i did a, a road trip where we had bugles and those are super fun and super good do you put put them on your, put fingers? Them on your fingers yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> i am a child michael uh, i figured uh i am a big fan of the one dollar mcdonald's beverages those are great oh, that's that's solid solid for a um for for road trip for for someone who um has a, a small bladder. <laughs> I, uh, not a good thing for me to have the uh, the, the, the large sodas. Uh, it gets a little dangerous. Fair enough. Don't want to have to stop too often. Yeah. And speaking of stops, one place we're going to stop this week, Hoppers in Midvale, Utah, on Friday nights, 6 p.m. It is going to be our meetup before USC and BYU. The game's on Saturday. The meetup is on Friday night. Uh, we're going to be there... Our pal Kenneth Martin from Traveler H Thursdays is there. We have another secret guest who says she's going to be there, but maybe she's not, <laughs> but maybe she is. Uh, and it's going to be a fun time. So if you're going to the game, if you're going to be in the area, stop by Hoppers in Midvale, Utah uh, on uh, Friday night at 6 p.m. Yeah, that's, that is the, the big thing I'm looking forward to as well. Uh, it, it's always fun hanging out with the Daves who will... Uh, who will be there with us and uh, just chilling, having a beer. Um, from what I remember, the food at Hoppers last year was pretty good. So I'm looking forward I wanna to I want to say it. I got the fish and chips and they were good. I want to say I got a burger and it was good. So like you got some burger with like egg on it or something? It was some like crap? a pub burger or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say their fries were pretty good too. Yeah. It's a pub. pub yeah, it's pub, pub food. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You, you cannot go wrong. So join us for the meetup on Friday night. That'll be a fun time. Uh, and then other stuff to get to here before we get into the preview. Patreon. So much stuff going down. There was breaking news about Devin Williams, which we're going to get to in our news segment. Uh, that generated a snap take that uh, that you did, Alicia, along with a car cast inside the scrum. So much stuff going down over on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy, where you can subscribe. Get all of our bonus content for as little as $5.55 per month. For 10 bucks, you get to join our Slack channel, talk to us about USC football around the clock whenever you want to. It's a nice little budding community, uh, and it's a fun time. Yeah, tons of good conversations over on the Slack channel, and uh, tons of good you know content that we're putting out over on the on the Patreon feed. So uh, if if you know now is definitely the time to check it out. There's there's constant uh, constant stuff going up. And we're pretty much uh, blanket covering this whole thing. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's get to the news and get into this episode up next.
Phillies here. We have to start with the breaking news that dropped on Wednesday. Devin Williams, USC's true sophomore wide receiver, a potential star of the future, a potential star as early as this year, who knows, is now entering the transfer portal. He played 10 snaps per USCfootball.com against Stanford. Uh, as his career, he had five catches, 98 yards, including a touchdown last year against Oregon State. He had one catch for 11 yards last week against Stanford. This comes completely out of the blue for me. And I, I, I got a lot of opinions about it. Because if it's strictly about playing time, I don't know that I understand it. We don't know that it is. Um, this is one of those situations where it's certainly complex. Uh, life is three-dimensional. It's not black and white. There's a lot to this. So you don't want to over-assume and, and speculate too much. But it's an interesting development for USC, especially when he, he is a player who absolutely, you if you're the Trojans, should be relying on going forward. And maybe that's not the case now. If it's about playing time, then leaving two weeks into the season doesn't make a lot of sense to me because you're going to be sitting out now 10 weeks, if 10 games, if not more, uh, you're going to be eligible at best to play two weeks into the 2020 season. So that's a lot of playing time to give up for the sake of playing time. I, I just, it doesn't really make a lot of sense if that's the reason. And there, like you said, there's probably more complexities to this. Uh, it's never just one thing. It's always a, a multitude of things that goes into these kinds of decisions. But on the surface, the idea that, well, he didn't, he only played 10 snaps against Stanford and yet he didn't play any snaps against Fresno State. Like, yeah, okay, that makes sense why he would be considering these things. But at the same time, like, it seems counterproductive, doesn't it? It seems counter counterproductive for him to take himself out of the lineup for this entire fall when. Michael Pittman is graduating. Uh, Tyler Vons might be leaving. Like he was looking at being the potential main man for USC next next year. <sighs> Not only that, but potentially later on this season, when yeah, given how the rotation kind of figures out, um, the first game they didn't rotate because apparently it was governed by the players and they gave too much power to the players and the players didn't come out. The second week they played Stanford. And they only ran, like, what was it, 60 plays or whatever. Yeah. And so there weren't that many opportunities. Um, there's going to be more opportunities when they're running what they should be expected to every game, like 80 plays. And so if you look at his options, if he transfers to a JC now and does the Blake Barnett kind of thing, you're looking at a calendar year until he can come back. And he's still got to get a waiver at some point to do that. If that's the case, then he's going to play somewhere else. And getting the same playing time he would have got at USC when USC is in a system, an air raid offense, that is going to give the wide receivers more opportunities. I understand that, you know, maybe the idea is, oh, well, how do you know that, that Clay Helton's coming back next year or that Graham Harrell's coming back? Sure, maybe that plays into it too, but it just seems to me that if it's strictly playing time, the odds are he'd still have more of an opportunity at USC than anywhere else to showcase his talents yeah that's where i'm looking at that's i mean what if he has to sit because he played this year what if he doesn't get a waiver and he do, he doesn't he has to sit out next year too yeah then he's not only well then he has to go to his fourth academic year right yeah which 
if everything worked out at SC, he wouldn't even be in because he could potentially go to the NFL with enough of a resume to bounce after next season. Yeah. And yet here he is in the fourth year or somewhere. Like, I I want to know the full story to this. So bad. I, I, I agree. And and the, the crazy thing is that USC is skating on thin ice with the depth in the receiver core. So if tomorrow, knock on wood, Michael Pittman re-injures that shoulder that's been bothering him since he arrived at USC, then Devin Williams is a starter. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, it, like, like I said, none of it really makes a lot of sense. Um, to the point where like the, the playing time thing makes so little sense that you have to assume that there is something else going on, whether it's fit with the coaches, fit with the team, uh, you know, whether whether or not he's just unhappy uh, with where he is uh, at school, like who's around him, all that kind of like whatever it is, there's something more than just I'm not getting the playing time I want because the playing time is coming and you're, you've now sabotaged your playing time by putting your name in the transfer portal. It's very odd. Indeed. Uh, I don't know what to make of it. We'll, we'll see if we ever get some more information about what happens with Devin Williams going forward. He, now that he's in the transfer portal, he can talk to other schools and whatnot. Doesn't mean that he's definitely transferring. Just means he has that opportunity and other schools can speak to him now. Uh, let's talk about the injury report going into Saturday's game. You already know the main ones, JT Daniels out with an ACL tear. Um, the interesting ones to to note here, uh, Christian Rector didn't practice on Wednesday with an ankle injury. Clay Helton had talked about it on his Sunday night conference call. He kind of said that he was pulled in the fourth quarter against Stanford, but it probably wasn't going to be a big deal. Here we are a couple days away from USC and BYU. Maybe it is kind of a big deal. Yeah, expecting to hear an, a definitive uh, word on this on Thursday night when Clay Hilton addresses the media next. But at the very least, it's not a good sign when a player isn't practicing on Wednesday. Uh, Christian Rector was in pads on Tuesday, wasn't practicing, but he was in pads. And on Wednesday, he was totally on the sideline, uh, out of pads and and out of uh, without a helmet and all that. So that doesn't look good. I mean. Y- you could be in a situation where you've just decided to shut him down for the week and get him ready to go for Saturday. Sometimes you can do that with an ankle injury, so I'm not totally ruling him out, but USC is definitely out there preparing with Connor Murphy taking first-team reps, and I think that until we hear something positive about Christian Rector, you kind of have to assume that there's a decent chance that he won't be available for USC on, against BYU, which is a bummer because... USC is going to need a really solid play from their edge uh, position going up against a mobile quarterback in Zach Wilson. Yeah, that would definitely help USC out a ton to have Christian Rector. Uh, Chase Williams, the other guy who's questionable, uh, along with Andrew Voorhees, who's dealing with the foot. But Chase Williams, someone who you had high hope for at the beginning of the season. What's the, what's the case on him? Yeah, don't, uh, no idea. He didn't practice on, on Wednesday. Um Clay Hilton is only addressing the media on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So if there's something new on that front on a Wednesday, we just literally we just don't hear. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what's going on with Chase Williams. And Andrew Voorhees has been dealing with uh, his, his back and his foot and all sorts of things. Um, the only thing I can say definitively for Andrew Voorhees is that he wasn't practicing in the um, the tempo period that we got to see at practice on Wednesday. He wasn't in the first or the second team. So I don't know what that says about his status for the weekend because he hadn't been practicing the you know the week before they'd sort of been holding him out. 
So there's a possibility that he'll be available on Saturday. Again, when you're dealing with veterans who they're more willing to have sit out a couple days of practice because they they sort of trust them a little bit more, there's some wiggle room there. But at the same time, USC's injury list is uh, certainly getting longer in uh, in week three. Yeah, you want to get that stabilized just a little bit there. Uh, let's talk about Lin Swan. He resigned on Monday. We had a snap take that we put up both on the free side of things and on Patreon. No real news there, but I did want to get to a tweet from Pete Thamel, and this came out on Monday as well. Names USC will be slash has been interested in. Baylor's Mac Rhodes, Jen Cohen, Rob Mullins, Nova's Mark Jackson, Whit Babcock, BC's Martin Jarmond, uh, and then from the group of five, Temple's Pat Kraft, UNLV's Desiree Reed-Francois, Nevada's Bob Newth, uh, and Thamel says, if UNC's Bubba Cunningham wanted it, uh, he'd have got it. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, group of names, most of which I am not familiar with, but I consider that a good thing. It's right? totally said, a good thing, yeah. It's a good thing if you don't know uh, who the who the uh, included in that list, or I'm relieved to hear it's not Ronnie Lott, not Marcus Allen, not... Jack Del Rio, I don't know. <laughs> Troy Polamalu, Reggie Bush, yeah. Yeah, Matt Leiner, yeah. yeah. None, of, none of those guys are on the list. Uh, I none of those to... guys are featured in USC's new scholarship club tower. That's uh, that's, exactly. that's important. I want to talk about Mark Jackson because it's very similar to news that we saw come out on Tuesday. Not really news, but buzz on Tuesday with Jack Del Rio talking to Will Kane of ESPN Radio about the USC job. You put it nicely, I thought. He was just a little too honest, where, where he talked about, you know, he doesn't want to undermine Clay Helton. Uh, at the same time, he's a head coach, and, you know, it's a great job, and of course he'd want it and, and, and whatnot. To me, Mark Jackson is the Jack Del Rio of USC's athletic director hires, in the sense that if USC is going to USC, and you know how USC is, right? And if USC is going to USC... Do you know the fight song? Yeah. First and, question. And, and have you been familiar with the thing and all that stuff? Mark Jackson is the best candidate of those USC hires. But USC should not make a USC hire. The same thing with the head coaching thing, right? Like, if USC is going to go out and get a USC man, Jack Del Rio is the best option. That's still not remotely the path you should go down. That doesn't mean that that should be the area you should look for either Jack Del Rio or Mark Jackson. Yeah, basically, I want US- USC to hire somebody who doesn't have a previous relationship with anybody in the athletic department already. Um, yeah. I, I want I want USC to go out and hire somebody who has been elsewhere and done things elsewhere and doesn't know how USC's athletic department works because we've seen how USC's athletic department works and it does not work well. So somebody who came up in that system, maybe less than ideal candidate so yeah no offense to mark jackson at least he has experience at villanova at least he has uh he's stepped away from usc he's been outside the circle for for a while so that's something in his corner but honestly i'm not interested in somebody who already like i know that people are throwing out the whole like no one who knows the fight song thing as like just like the lazy way to say no one who's associated with usc but actually, can we have that be a criteria that you have to learn? That, like, Carol Folt had to sit down and learn USC's fight song. I don't even know if she knows it. 
at this stage, but she had to sit down and learn it at she some point. She might be one of those people who doesn't know the difference between fight on, tribute, and conquest. Yeah. Which yeah. is like 94% of people anyways. Exactly. So that that's a very uh, surface level criteria, but I think it also speaks to somebody who doesn't know how things work internally at USC, who will bring in new ideas, completely fresh slate. That's what I'm looking for from USC's AD hire. And Mark Jackson isn't that. So, yeah, it, it, it would be the Jack Del Rio of uh, because of all the former USC coaches that are out there. At least he has. You, you would take Jack Del Rio over Jeff over Fisher. Over Jeff Fisher, Hugh Jackson. O- over Hugh Jackson, yeah. Yeah. Over Sark again and Lane again. He, and he's had he's had a decent amount of success. But you at, wouldn't take him over Matt Campbell yeah. or Urban Meyer or any of those. Things, yeah, exactly. Right? So, yeah. Anyways, the point is USC needs to find a new athletic director. Uh, we'll know then. Maybe if they need to find a new coach. But for now, USC and Clay Helton going to try to make it 3-0 on Saturday against the BYU Cougars. Let's preview the Cougars. Take a quick break. Come right back and do that. All right, Alicia, let's get into this game. Saturday afternoon, 1.30 p.m. local time, 12.30 p.m. Pacific on ABC slash ESPN depending where you are in the country. The Trojans and the BYU Cougars. SC has not been to Provo since 2004. They won big there. Reggie Bush had a great game. This is an interesting little matchup. Uh, When we did our season preview, we we talked about it then. And when we did our, uh, I wrote a, you know, threat level. um, I I ranked all of USC's opponents by threat level on randatory.com. And I had BYU fourth. And the reason for that is for all of the peripheral things, it is a road game. Clay Helton is 12 and 14 away from the Coliseum. It's a road game in September. SC typically struggles in early season road games. It is a potential trap game. It is seven days after USC beats Stanford. So you got the body blow Stanford theory, which I don't think still applies anymore because Stanford isn't that team anymore. Yeah, not, not with this Stanford team. Yeah. But you all, it's also a trap game because it's six days before Utah in a short week at home when you got that lingering over you and Utah's the biggest game of the most important game of the season, all of that stuff, right? And then you add in, it's a road game in a new environment. All these things are reasons to be concerned. The false positive Stanford theory, uh, Ryan Abraham over at uscfootball.com put together a great article. Go read it about the all the signs of the false positive theory over the years. All these things are reasons to fear this matchup for USC. And then you actually look into BYU, and you're like, SC should win this game by like 30 points. Why the hell is the Vegas line four? Yeah, BYU doesn't really move the needle, do they? They're, they're a little bit of a boring team, which is weird to say because they have anything but a boring quarterback. Yeah. Like Zach Wilson is, is a legitimately exciting. Um, the, 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 the tight end, uh, Matt Bushman is legitimately exciting, but at the same time, everything about BYU is weirdly middle of the road. Like the scary thing about BYU is that they're kind of okay, that they're, they're good. They were good enough to put up a fight against Utah, but ultimately lose that game fairly handily. Is is trailing 30 to six to Utah putting up a fight? I mean, they had two pick sixes, so... You know, they, they put up a fight. Their they their quarterback, who is a truly dynamic playmaker, just things swung the wrong way. 
but they put up a fight. You know, I watched I watched that game. It wasn't it wasn't like Utah was having their way with BYU in the way that the the score would make you think it it was. Then they go into Tennessee, and they they battle Tennessee. Now Tennessee is awful. Tennessee is god awful. Is coming off of a loss to Georgia State. Yeah. So again, Tennessee's bad. Yeah. So, the worst team in the SEC East. So, like, BYU, all the positives that you can say about BYU, you have to caveat it with, like, but, you know, but you got trounced by Utah, even though you did put up a fight for, for a bit. You beat Tennessee, but Tennessee is atrocious. So, you know, Georgia, do something Georgia Southern hasn't done. You know, that that's a problem. Uh, but, but at the very least, like, BYU isn't a team that's getting trounced by... By teams in general, you know? Again, they were down 30-6 to to their rivals. And I get that there's pick sixes in there that that, that change it a little bit, but... BYU has a pulse, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Do they, though? Do they? they I'm I'm looking at the numbers. BYU has scored two touchdowns in regulation. (laughs) Of those two touchdowns, one of them came in garbage time against Utah while down 30-6 to to make it 30-12. to Yeah. So they have one touchdown that's not in garbage time in regulation through two weeks. Against Utah, a rivalry game, I get it, fine. But then against Tennessee, a team that gave up like 38 points to Georgia State. Yeah. So I want to sit here and and be like... To play devil's advocate. Okay, go ahead. You've watched USC's defense many, many times over the year. USC's defense can get burned on one play. 100%. And Zach Wilson is... And Zach Wilson's the guy who can do that. Exactly. Completely. And I, I completely see that. At the same point, I saw USC's offense last week. Yeah. And it goes back into, you know, Ryan's whole theory about the false positive. If you're buying into the idea that last week was a was a false positive and you need to see more, which is totally valid. I mean, look at 2014. I've said a, for a while now, I think that this season could end up like 2014. Well, 2014, SC blows out Fresno State. Barely squeaks by Stanford. And then what do they do in, in week three? They get embarrassed on the road at BC. Look at this season. SC barely gets by Fresno State, but they blow out Stanford. Here comes that road game against a same kind of level of team. BYU and BC, about the same level of team, same level of opponent. So there's precedence absolutely to fear this game. I just look at... Last week, SC was so effortless on offense and how they just dismantled Stanford for the last 40 minutes of that game. If well, SC even gets close to that, they're going to run away with this thing. Okay, so here's some more devil's advocate. Uh, because you had me watch Max Brown's breakdown of Keaton Slovis's performance. Which was great. Go, go look that up on Twitter. Really great. Max Brown is, has done a hell of a job of... of, of uh, becoming of, of sort of making himself into into a uh, an analyst because um, he does a really good job of, of breaking things down into understandable chunks. Um, but, you know, Stanford was without Bobby Okariki and Sean Barton, their two inside linebackers from last year. And I think Max Brown did a really good job of showing how Stanford's, you know, inside linebackers in this game were really, really not 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 up to the up to par of of a Stanford defense. So maybe but they it was might not just be up that. To, they might not be up to par, but they're still blue chip recruits. Well, and they're still Stanford. Uh, you know, Stanford. 
we give Stanford credit because they are generally a reasonably well-coached team. So, like, even when they're bad, they're not, like, bad, bad. But at the same time, like, I don't know. It, <laughs> it just, you can devil's advocate a lot of this when it comes to what USC did last week. And and the, it always comes back to what is USC going to look like on the road? Is USC going to play? The the big thing that, you know, in, in my rewatch watching that game, it was USC played mistake-free football. That was after the after the first quarter when they played a lot of mistakes in, in that game. But once they got those out of their system, the whole last three quarters of that game were mistake-free football across the board from USC for the most part. Like there was some breakdowns on defense, but not right. killer ones. So can they replicate that and play mistake-free? On the road. On the road. In Slovis's first road start. Yeah. yeah. All those things I think are 100% valid. You know, the, the false positive theory, completely valid. All these things are valid. I still don't know if that's enough to lose to BYU. I just and I don't want to like overlook this team because Zach Wilson is a guy who can completely beat you out on the edge, just just like uh, Jorge Reina did in Week One. But then and, again, and if SC can't get contained, he can do that. He can also drop back and make a dumb decision, throw we, some pick sixes. We, we've seen both of those things. Yeah, and we've seen USC. You know, we've seen Greg Johnson get burned a few times and then come up with a huge interception to basically put that game away. Um, and I and I you know what I randomly always think back to? Remember when USC played Utah State? I forget what year it was. And the whole time we were going into that Utah State game going like, man, Chucky Keaton is dangerous. 2013. Dangerous Chucky Keaton. And then, you know, you got to there and you're like, meh, USC handled him. Wasn't that wasn't that good? We've we talked about that about Chucky Keaton, about uh Freddie Knighton from Arkansas State. Yeah. We've had that discussion plenty of times. You can say that we've had it about Khalil Tate, too. Yeah. And SC has always found a way to shut those guys down. So, Well, that was uh, something that I, I find interesting, too. I got to talk to Chad Kahaha after practice on Wednesday. And one of the things that I really liked hearing from him, asking him about, you know, what's your messaging, uh, knowing you're going to go up against a guy like Zach Wilson who can scramble and make plays. And he was like, yeah, like, that's a that's a thing. But also, like, we just have to keep our aggression and just be like you have to have cautious aggression but his big thing was um sometimes when you when you overemphasize the quarterback's mobility and his ability to make plays your defensive line ends up doing what he called a, a like a jail rush which is basically like you're rushing but behind jail like uh like the bars of a of a jail cell and you let the quarterback pick you apart because you're not actually being aggressive and going after him so Chad Kahaha's message is just get after him, get after him and take him down. And I think that's going to be interesting to see in the sense that like, yeah, Zach Wilson's going to have to beat USC. Zach Wilson's going to have to make all of the plays to beat USC. And if USC gets beat that way, which who was the last quarterback who did that? Jorge Reyna didn't do it. Jorge Reyna put in a good performance against USC, but Fresno State still lost that game. So... Yeah, it, it's I go back and forth on this. I really do. I wish I had more confidence in USC. I am still quite gun shy about the performance that USC is going to put in. But at the same time, like we're going to look at all of I wrote on randomtroy.com on on Wednesday the who uh my preview for the game was who has the edge. USC has the edge in in four out of the five areas that I looked at. Four out of the five. 
And the only area they have a BYU has an edge is their pass offense versus USC's pass defense. And that's because Zach Wilson could do some damage, but it, right. But if USC gets the interceptions, then we, yeah, we we've seen it, but we've all also seen him struggle at the same time. So which Zach Wilson are you going to get? Um, the interesting thing about Chad Kauhaha, I don't I don't know what you talked to him about. Did he mention going up against him last year at Boise State? He didn't. No, because no, I, I looked it up. Zach Wilson had 18 carries for 36 yards last year. Uh, two yards per carry. I don't know how to interpret that line without the context. Because was he running 18 times because he was scrambling and he had a couple of long runs? I don't know. Um, either way, um, BYU wins that game 21. Sorry, uh, uh, Boise State wins that game 21-16. I think if you can hold Zach Wilson to 18 carries and 36 yards, I think that means you're doing something right. Because he's not breaking your back with, with a bunch of yards. 36 you can live with. 18 carries means he's not handing the ball off. He's there, BYU is not having a successful running game, and he's not beating you with his arm. Uh, I just looked up the game book, Michael, for BYU versus Boise State. Yep. Do you want to know how to interpret that stat line? How many sacks were there? I'm asking you how many sacks there were. Six. More. Eight? It was seven. Seven. So seven, <laughs> seven of, sacks. So seven of those 18 were sacks. Yes. There you go. BYU gave up like 29 sacks last year. So like that's a large percentage of their sacks that came in that game against Chad Kaha's defensive line. If you wanted a little boost, USC fans of confidence, there you go. And uh, and for the record, BYU returns pretty much that entire offensive line. They, they return four of the five starters on that offensive line. So, Yeah. Yeah, and SC got three sacks last week against Stanford. Uh, I think you want to see more than three sacks per game. I'd take seven. <laughs> you would take seven. I mean, three is still pretty good, but but you would you would definitely you would take five. Okay, so Zach Wilson gained ninety yards in that game. All right, that, he that, lost fifty four. <laughs> so he, he gained ninety yards on eleven carries. His long was twenty three. Yeah, which again, I think you live with that. You can live with him gaining 90 yards Yeah, if you're going to sack him seven if times. If you're going to sack him seven times, then then you're getting the upper hand there. As far as like you, and I think that's what I took from Chad Kahaha is basically like, yeah, if he gets away, he gets away. But it's more important for us to, to get him down when we get the opportunity instead of yeah. being so fearful of that one. I mean, and doesn't that fit USC's defensive mindset too? Because against Stanford... It's like it was that weird bend but don't break where USC was giving up those third down conversions and it's pull your hair up. But then you look at it and they they converted four of 11. Right. Three came on one drive and if they you, didn't get any points from that drive. So if you're Clancy right. Pendergast, you get to say, yeah, that our, our plan worked. You know what? We're not going to be so afraid Playing of giving the up the one. Yeah. yeah we're not going to be so afraid of giving up the one thir- third down that we give them the advantage on all the other plays that we that we do. So like there's there's merit to that, even if it. <laughs> results in in uh, moments where you want to look at that defense and go like, why are you guys killing me like this? Yeah, I, I, I this is so interesting because Zach Wilson is absolutely someone that you can be worried about in these moments, and then you can watch his film against Utah, in which he is very confounding at the same time. But 
that's what makes that's what makes him difficult to, to game plan that you don't know which Zach Wilson you're going to get. He's still a young guy. He's still someone who has the ability to put it all together. Maybe we see that on Saturday. Maybe we don't. But let's talk about more about this Cougar offense and we'll talk about the, the running game a little bit. Yeah. Uh, the, the running game is interesting, Michael, because I am a, uh, a very big fan of Bill Connolly, as, as you all know. And, uh, you know, every, the first thing I do whenever we're getting ready to start previewing a game is I look at Bill Connolly's uh, preview and just get a, get a sense of like, you know, who's important to know and and what are the stats that, that are that are going down with this team. And reading through Bill Connolly's uh, preview, he mentions the return of Zach Wilson, obviously, who was a true freshman last year and another true freshman. That's uh, Lupini Katoa. So he was a true freshman starter for USC at, at for, for BYU at running back. No relation to Taylor, by the way. Yeah, I mean, oh BYU. By the way, so many people with the same last names. It is downright confusing, particularly on defense. So thanks BYU. Um, but yeah, so Lapini Katoa is uh, the true freshman running back, and he he has a really promising freshman season. So everyone goes into the season thinking. Well, he's going to be the guy for BYU in 2019. But then you do a little digging and Lupini Katoa is not the dude for for BYU in 2019. It's kind of a fresh start for them on the ground because they brought in two transfer running backs. So uh, Tyson Williams is a transfer from South Carolina. And then they also got uh, Emmanuel Esukpa from Rice, both grad transfer running backs. And they held a, court, a, a running back competition in the offseason, and it was a big surprise when Tyson Williams was the one who won the job. And so he's been their guy. He's their leading rusher uh, with, uh, what is it, 137 yards on 28 carries. The, the other two, uh, Emmanuel Esukpa, the, the Rice transfer, has three carries. Lupini Katoa has five carries this year for five yards. So not exactly, uh, uh, not exactly a great start for him for his sophomore season, but... Tyson Williams is, uh, you know, he, last year for South Carolina, he had four touchdowns throughout the whole season. And for BYU, he's got three touchdowns already. So he's their dude. Again, let me just put a caveat on those three touchdowns. One of them came while down 30-6 to six in the fourth quarter against Utah. Mm-hmm. One of them came in double overtime against Tennessee. Yeah. One of them came in regulation, regulation. non-garbage time, which was in the third quarter against Tennessee uh, to make it a 13-10 game after Tennessee led 13-3. So I don't want to take anything away from him. He's someone USC needs to worry about, absolutely. At the same time, those three touchdowns sound scarier than they are. Yeah, exactly. Well, and BYU's, BYU's run, uh, run offense is, is it's, again... <laughs> It's kind of like middle of the road, like there's some things to like, but ultimately it's not super formidable, especially when you factor in that the strength of USC's defense is their defensive front. And the one big question mark you have really when it comes to that is, can USC's linebackers get the job done? I mean, you look at this, this, the um, the Fresno State game, USC gives up 200 plus rushing yards because they're not sealing the edge because the linebackers aren't pursuing well on the outside and because the corners aren't shedding their blocks on the outside. So it really wasn't USC's defensive front. Against Stanford, uh, Cameron um, Cameron Scarlett has 80-some-odd yards, 90-some-odd yards, 
but half of them come on one rush, a 44-yard run, where Stanford double-teamed USC's defensive tackles, and USC's linebackers just didn't plug the gap that they were supposed to plug, and boom, Cameron Scarlett gets 44 yards. So it really does come down to, like, if BYU wants to challenge USC's rush defense, then they're it's going to be really hard for them to to find space against this USC defensive front. The only thing they can hope for is to do like Stanford did, where you break the one where the linebackers screw up, which, again, is if we trusted USC a little bit more. SC is totally capable of doing that. Exactly. <laughs> That's what this defense is. It is the, the Clancy Pendergast defense is so predictable in that they are great for three plays and they'll bash your head in for one. Uh, and that, that's that'll win you games when you're scoring a bunch of points on offense like USC did last week. Well, one of the things I want to talk about here is, you know, it's easy to talk about the peripheral stuff like, like we talked about before. The 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 it's the early road game. It's Clay Helton away from the Coliseum. It's Keen Slovis in his first road start. It is the false positive theory, the Stanford body blow theory. All these things, reasons to fear, but on a, in a vacuum, is there anything on this BYU team that's better than Stanford? You know, on sometime on Thursday or Friday, uh, towards the end of the week, where we're this year one of the things that we're doing on RainerShore.com is a combined 22. And the combined 22 is something we stole from uh, soccer, which they do combined 11s, where you pick the, if you took the two teams and put them together, who would start? So, if you took the two teams, USC and BYU, and did a who would start exercise, which Trent Goodrich, one of our writers, is, is generally the one who does it, and uh, we haven't, I haven't gotten a look at it yet because it, it's not done yet. So, um, I don't know what conclusions he's going to come to. But if I were just sort of off the top of my head, throw it out there, I think tight end might be the only one. Matt Bushman, yeah, yeah. Hell of a scary looking dude. Well, I watched that Utah game. Matt Bushman looked scary as all heck. He didn't. Yeah. He, he had two catches for forty yards against Tennessee. He looks like Zach Ertz. Yes, he he really does. Um, which, which means you got to put Elijah Griffin on him. Uh, exactly. Clearly, exactly. Obviously. But but let's be real here. I I don't think there is anyone else on BYU's offense or defense that I take over. USC. You could make an argument for, now, uh, do that for one, Stanford, of, one of their corners. Do that for Stanford. And it's well, not we did that be for much... Stanford. No, but I'm saying BYU and Stanford. Oh, and Stanford. Oh, uh... I don't think that I think it's going to, again, overwhelmingly all Stanford players. Yeah. So except maybe it maybe at middle linebacker <laughs> after sure. watching that Max Brown. Stuff. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And, and maybe you make the argument for, for using Zach Wilson over Davis Mills, whatever. Right. Yeah. But I think you definitely take Zach Wilson over Davis Mills. For, for the experience alone. Yes. Yeah. But not, you don't not, take Zach Wilson over KJ Costello. Obviously not. Right. So at the end of the day, I look at this and I'm going to go into this game with the same argument that I had last week. There is no football reason on earth for USC to lose this game. I said it last week. There was no football reason for USC to lose to Stanford. They didn't. They beat them by 25. I, I understand the apprehension um, about USC. There's a million reasons to think that SC can screw themselves in the foot because we've seen it over and over and over again. We saw it in week one. Yeah. And I'm completely on board with that. And when we get to my prediction, I will factor that in. I don't want to get to my prediction too early, but... I think Graham Harrell deserves more of a benefit of the doubt to assume that the offense won't travel. 
I think that's totally fair. Um, I also think that you make a really good point about comparing BYU to Stanford. I might argue that you could compare BYU to Fresno State as well. Sure. One, yeah, I, I don't think that they're those three, as we've seen now, are overly dissimilar. Yeah. I think that each team is going to get better at the end of the year. I think we'll know more about where they are at the, at the end of the year. Stanford, when they get KJ Costello back, going to be a much better team. SC got them at the right time. SC definitely got Fresno State at the right time when they had so many new guys on offense. Those wins are going to age well for USC because those teams will get better. I think BYU is kind of going to be in that same boat too. Yeah, but it's just hard to know where where BYU is at at this stage relative to Fresno State and and Stanford. And I think that's a fair point that if USC struggles in this game, it's because USC struggles. because of USC's own struggles exactly uh, and and that's that's the thing that makes it really hard oh this is perfect I just pulled up the SP plus rankings from week two Fresno State ranks fifty first where does BYU rank fifty second forty ninth oh okay so about the same Where, where's Stanford yeah Stanford is <laughs> guess sixty two sixty one wow okay. So yeah, they're they're all in the same ballpark. Yes. And again, I go back to what did USC do last week when they had a quarterback for the whole game, when they were able to game plan with that quarterback and that new quarterback for for a whole game, when they were able to have uh, an advantage and all these things, when they're able to execute their offense. I, I think Graham Harrell earned the benefit of the doubt of this really is an execution offense when you look back at week one, and we can complain about SC's second quarter against Fresno State. But again, there's the drop from Tyler Bonds. There's the misread on the interception. You know, the the team and the players and the coaches and all of them last year would always say, oh, execution, we just got to get better, we just got to get better. But when you look at week one versus week two and how each week panned out and how week one Fresno State never stopped SC in the first half, barring a drop on third down and uh, an unforced interception, essentially. It's hard to say that that's wrong now, that it's not just strictly execution. Yeah. So if SC loses this game, it is 100% on them. Well, I mean, to go back to the Max Brown thing, USC has played bad defenses before and they didn't exploit them quite as efficiently and effectively yeah. as they did Stanford's linebackers screwing up at times. And it was it was clinical against Stanford. Yes. So that's what you want to do when you have an advantage. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back, do the over-under, and then we'll get to the mailbag after that. We'll be right back. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, let's get to the over under. I have a big lead. I'm eight and seven. You're seven and eight. It's a one game lead as far as I'm concerned, which is huge. All that matters. <laughs> it's all that matters. Yeah. Uh, one is the loneliness number. That's that's the lead there. It's great. Let's go to your first over under. What is it? That is 0.5 tight end catches. 0.5. 0.5 tight end catches for USC against BYU. I asked this because it was a point of discussion on Twitter uh, on Wednesday uh, that USC isn't utilizing their tight ends. And, um, you know, they had one tight end catch against Fresno State. That was Eric Cromenhoek on a little shovel pass. And they had none against Stanford, even though Keaton Slovis almost tried, found... Tried to find Josh, Josh Follow and Paul Slinadibo batted away. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. Will USC have a tight end catch a ball in is, this game against BYU? Is Slovis throwing it out there? That's the question. Well, well, well we're going to find out on Saturday, aren't we? Yeah, um, I am going to take the over. I think they'll get one. I can't ima- at least one. I can't imagine another game in which they go zero, which they go over. I agree. I'm taking the over two, and specifically, I'm taking the over because Josh Follow has been targeted at least once in both of these games. So it's not like they aren't attempting occasionally to get the ball to the tight end. Uh, I think it's going to happen. I, I really do, and and I stand by my assessment as the resident tight end lover who would love to see USC get the tight ends more involved like stop throwing to the tight end (laughs) lies um this offense is not built to ignore the tight end the tight end will get targeted when the tight end is the best option to target and the chances are that that will happen at least once against BYU yeah I would definitely agree there uh my first over under is six and a half Six and a half catches for Michael Pittman. I set the line there because he had six for 28 yards against Fresno State and six for 82 yards against Stanford. Six and a half. Does Michael Pittman have a new season high? Does he get the seven? That's tough because my first instinct was to say under just because of the way that USC is going to spread the ball around. Um, Them being on the road, I think they're not going to run quite. They're not going to pass quite as much. But at the same time, I think Michael Pittman now has incentive to not come out of the game because Devin Williams is no longer behind him. So he may be on the field more because because they're not as as invested in in John Jackson third getting out there uh, behind him. So I'd, oof, that's rough. That's tough. I'm still going to take the under. I think I'm still going to take the under on this just because I think that, again, like playing the percentages there are too many receivers who need to get their touches and uh, like he could probably end up with five and, and four or five and still have a good game. So I just looked up the numbers North Texas had uh, their home and road splits with passing attempts in 2017. They averaged eight more passing attempts on the road. 2018, they averaged three more passing attempts at home. So I don't think that really matters. I, I don't know doesn't, what to, what to read. It doesn't that. tell us a lot there. No, it definitely does not. Um, I'm going to take the over, and the reason is because Tyler Bonds has been so good uh, in terms of at least production thus far. So is Amon Ross St. Brown. I think you can make the case that Amon Ross was USC's best wide receiver last week. Tyler Bonds the week before. I think Michael Pittman is not only due, but I think that if you're BYU, you might want to try to take away those two guys, and Michael Pittman might have the physical advantage over BYU's corners that the other two guys won't. So give me the over. That's a fair point, too, because uh, Paulson Adiba was the guy on, on Tyler Vaughn's. Um, there's arguments to have your best corner on Tyler Vaughn's or on Ross St. Brown. Michael Pittman is also a mismatch nightmare. We have also seen Michael Pittman make crazy good plays in the state of Utah. So, yeah, still, still still playing the odds on the on the under. All right. Fair enough. Uh, let's go to the next over under. What do you got? I'm sticking with the tight ends. I'm sticking with the tight ends for my tight end love. Let's talk about Matt Bushman. I was watching that BYU-Utah game and just salivating over Matt Bushman. Like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah, he makes me drool. That's the drop I was waiting for, Michael. Uh, Matt Matt Bushman is a tight end's tight end. Um, but he also has, like most tight ends, fluctuating numbers as far as the kind of involvement that he has in a game. 
So against Utah, he had six catches. Against Tennessee, he had two. Two for 40, so he's still effective, but only two. So my over-under is this. 3.5 catches for Matt Bushman against USC. Recognizing that Colby Parkinson for Stanford had seven. Seven. Yeah, give me the over. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's fair, especially considering what Kobe Parkinson did. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Am I think I if you're BYU, you have to go to your best player in offense, and that's Matt Bushman. At least at the skill positions, outside of the quarterback, it's him. I'm I'm tempted to take the under, but I'm also, like... You can take the under. That's fine with me. Yeah, you just want to, like, open up a gap here because I'm going to take the under and he's going to get, like, five, six, seven, eight, nine catches. Sounds good to me. Do it. <sighs> if I had more faith in USC's nickel and USC's safeties to cover, then I would go under. But I'm going to go over. I'm going to go over. I'm not going to give you this point. All right. We're both taking the over on three and a half Matt Bushman receptions. Let's go to my next over under. Over or under, 27.5 rushing yards for BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. He averaged 27.6 in 2018. He had 43 against Utah, negative 6 against Tennessee. Remember, sacks are factored in here. Uh, and we talked about that Boise State game. 18 carries for 36 yards, but <laughs> there were 7 sacks. So yeah. that factored in there, but he still would have got it. He still would have hit that over. So over or under, 27.5. I'm taking the over on this one. Um, I don't trust USC's linebackers to track him down. I think he's going to have a, a couple of big runs in this game. But I also think USC's defensive line is going to bring him down a few times for a few sacks. So I think he, you know, he's not going to like have 80 or 90 yards rushing. But I do think he could get close to 50. Just seeing the, the number of times he carries the ball to, like, you know, generally 10 times or so in a game. Yeah, give me the over for this. I think that I think SC is going to have him on the move, and if nothing else, there will be a few breakdowns that will give him, uh, you know, at least twenty-eight rushing yards to get that over. So we'll both take over on twenty-seven and a half rushing yards for BYU quarterback Zach Wilson. What is your last over/under? My last over/under is passer rating for Keaton Slovis. I've set it at one thirty-nine point five. He had a plus 200 passer rating against Stanford, but that's totally unreasonable to expect him to do that again. BYU, meanwhile, has allowed passer ratings of 136 and 129 in the first two weeks of play. So is Keaton Slovis going to be up over 140 in his first career road start? Yeah, give me the over. I think I, I see Keaton Slovis at about 150. 150 at least. Give me the freaking over. I... I'm not trying to doubt Keaton Slovis, but I am putting a little bit of weight on the road thing. Sure. And I am assuming that Keaton Slovis will throw an interception in this game. So I'm going under. That is totally fair. Completely fair. Uh, let's go to my last over under. Over under 99.5 BYU rushing yards as a team. That is BYU's exact average through two weeks, ranking 114th in FBS. He had 92 against Utah, 107 against Tennessee. Uh, as you know, USC allowed 98 against Stanford, which is right there at the line. Uh, but they did give up 206 against Fresno State in week one. What do you got? Over under 99.5 BYU rushing yards. I've got under and just under. I think they're going to be in the 90s range for this rushing total. Um, I've already said that I think 
I think uh, uh, Wilson is going to end up with more than 30 rushing yards. So he's going to account for like half of the yards. But I don't think their running backs are going to generate a lot on the ground. I'm going to take the over just so I think that um, uh, Zach Wilson maybe gets 40 rushing yards or so. And I wouldn't be surprised if the rest of their guys got about 60 uh, just over to, to get over 100 and to get the over. I don't think SC's going to get gashed on the ground here, but they will give up enough yards to qualify for the over collectively because otherwise you're saying that if Zach Wilson gets 100, you're holding the rest of their backfield to like, I mean, mean, if Zach Wilson gets 50, you're holding the rest of their backfield to about 50. I, I, I can't necessarily see that. And they held Stanford to that, essentially, if they don't give up that 44-yard run. But they did give up the 44-yard run. That's what I'm saying. Indeed. So that's that's the difference for me. Uh, let's get to the Rod Index. If USC scores X amount of points, they will win the game. What is that number? Okay, Michael, this is where I'm going to call back to all of the, the little tidbits you've been throwing in this whole episode about BYU scoring in regulation. They've scored how many touchdowns in regulation? Two. And one of them was in was, garbage time. Was in garbage time. So is it too low for me to say that if USC scores twenty points that they will beat BYU? I think the number here at least needs to be twenty five. Uh BYU's averaging twenty point five points per game. Yeah, no, I get that. But I think the index is the for sure win. And I think that it needs to be at least 25 because I think you have to factor in the possibility of anything. And I think BYU is definitely capable of scoring 24 points on this team. It's a USC defense that gives up big plays. I don't think 24 points is unreasonable for BYU to score, especially if SC is going to, you know, maybe run a little bit faster and run some more plays. Even though you look at BYU's play chart or their play counts, they've only had like 55 and 60 plays per game the first two. So it's not like they're going to be running a lot of plays either. Either way, I, I think the rod index on offense is 25. Let's split the difference and go 22. Okay. So if SC scores more than than three offensive touchdowns. Exactly, Michael. Okay. Exactly. Right. If USC scores more than three offensive touchdowns, then they will a, win this game. It's yes. a wrap. Yeah, I'll give you that. All right, let's flip it around. If USC holds BYU to X number of points, they will win. I want to say that number is 15. 15 or fewer BYU points is a guaranteed win for USC. You look back at Tennessee, Tennessee and BYU were 16 at 16, 16 in the end of regulation. Uh, if they would have held them to 15, they would have won that game. Uh, and then Utah's offense scored 17 points against BYU. They scored 30 at the end of the day with the two pick sixes and a missed PAT. So 15 is the, uh, the run index. Yeah, I can get behind that. Right. Um, Especially because BYU doesn't seem all that capable this year of putting up many more points than that. Yeah, which even that still seems low to me because SC should definitely score more than 14 in this game, uh, more than 15 in this game. Let's go to game predictions. Bill Connolly has USC by 6.7 points with a scoreline of 38 to 32. Vegas only has USC by four. Alicia, what is your prediction? I got USC 32, BYU 25. And I'm going to do that thing where I say that they score a garbage time touchdown to get up into the mid-20s. But I think USC's offense is going to make some key mistakes and not put up as many points as we would like them to. I will give you that. I'll I'll, I'll hear that out. Here's my argument. 
Again, there's no football reason in which USC should lose this game. Every reason that 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 is there for SC to struggle is on the periphery. It's Clay Helton 12 and 14 away from the Coliseum. It's the false positive theory um, from from Stanford. It is the body blow theory after the Stanford game. It's the the trap game factor with with Utah looming in in six days. It is Keaton Slovis's first freshman start. All of those things, to me, are reasons for why this game is closer than it should be. But it's not a reason for USC to lose. I think SC still covers 38-24. But this is a game, and I think if they were playing in a vacuum without all of that stuff, I would predict 45-13. And I'd that's, go 42-10. So. Like, that seems insane because the line is four points. Like, yeah. what the hell is Vegas... like? I, Vegas doesn't trust USC on the road. I no, think it's I, really that and, simple. And I get that, but I'm just like I feel like I'm I'm in. You feel crazy. like I'm taking crazy pills. I know I do. I, I just I just don't understand here. Um, yeah, 30, 38-24, SC wins this game. Uh, the reason I have SC at thirty eight points, not any more than that, is again BYU has not had more than sixty offensive plays, which means that they're not going to be a, a team that's going to push the tempo. Uh, and get SC into the chance of scoring 50, 60 points in this game or anything like that. Uh, still, that, that seems absurd too. So maybe it's too bold, but 38 24. I think it's, I think it's a close game that will be frustrating at times. SC finds a way. They really have to because they're, like you said, there's no excuse for losing this game unless they're the one shooting themselves in the foot. 100%. Uh, let's go to the mailbag. We're wrapping things up. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, Lisa, let's go to a rot pot in the 562 calling in to the Renatroy rant line. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. And the Trojans go marching on. <laughs> I love it. Needless to say, that came in after Lynn Swan uh, had resigned and been forced out as USC's athletic director. I love it. As a fan of uh, British soccer, of the EPL, I am a fan of singing and chanting and uh, converting hymns and songs to sports anthems. So I am here <laughs> for the random singing of Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. Yeah, it is. It is fantastic. I, I kept waiting for, and the Trojans go on without Swan. Wait, this is Swan really go on without Swan. Sure, something like that. Yeah, I was waiting for that. D- didn't happen, but it was fantastic. Good job, uh, Rotbot from the five six two. Well done. Uh, let's get our voicemail. We got from uh, Cameron. Hey, Raina Troy. This is Cameron from Fresco, Texas. I uh, got the big news yesterday that Lynn Swan just resigned as the athletic director. I couldn't be any more happier. I literally had goosebumps when I saw the news, and I felt like there's a huge weight that's been lifted off the program, administration, and the USC fans that Lynn Swan has finally resigned or finally departed from the program. Um, just wondering about what are your takes on who's currently going to be the next athletic director at USC, or the names are being popped out. Um, I already heard great things about the new interim athletic director, um, Dave Roberts, who is actually the VP of infractions committee. Um, do you believe that he will actually do anything while being interim athletic director, meaning uh, will he give Reggie Bush back to USC? 
I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Fight on. Can't wait to see you this coming weekend in Provo for the USC BYU game. Uh, hope I can meet you up during their time on Friday. Uh, you just hit me up and let me know when you're going to be um, doing your um, your meetup in, up in Salt Lake City. Hopefully I can make it, depending on if I can get to Salt Lake early enough for my flight and everything. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Fight on. Beat the coup. Thanks for the call, as always, Cameron. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you, man, if you can make it out to our meetup. Our meetup is at uh, Hopper's. In Midvale, Utah, on Friday night, 6 p.m. Uh, at least it's interesting to hear the idea of like what could Dave Roberts do as the um, the interim AD. Like, is he gonna is he gonna bat Seager fourth? Um, is he gonna bat Seager fifth? Um, oh wait, that's a different Dave Roberts. Right? <laughs> yes, that is a very different sorry, Dave Roberts. Sorry, different Dave. Ro- sorry, yeah, same name, different person. Different this name. Dave Roberts. The best case scenario is that he does nothing. Yeah. That he pulls a Lin Swan and does nothing. And, you know, <laughs> you and I were having the conversation, who is worse, Lin Swan or Pat Hayden? And it's easily L- L- Pat Hayden because Lin Swan didn't do enough. He didn't do enough to blame or to credit him for anything. There's, there's literally, you know, you can talk about Clay Helton, how he should have been fired or whatnot, and... This, this, and that. And then you can look at, well, Clay Helton also won the Rose Bowl and the Pac-12 championship. Lin Swan has nothing favorable on in the win column for him. And so many of the losses are things that he was saddled with that he just didn't make a decision on. He didn't hire Enfield. He didn't ha- hire Hubs. He didn't fire Helton, right? He didn't do any of those. So he inherited all those guys, and he he's kept them all around. Uh, save for Hubs, who he finally fired this year. So I think that if, you, if you're if you Dave Roberts, you do the same exact thing. You do nothing until there's a new uh, athletic director that replaces Dave Roberts. Yeah, I mean, you act like the interim. And uh, the interim is just there to hold up the fort. And Dave Roberts has already said he's not interested in being uh, in being a candidate to be the athletic director, so he has no business making decisions that an athletic director would actually make. He should be there to to do the day-to-day that has to get done. But as far as the long-term health of the athletics department, his best bet is to keep the seat warm until whoever it is that comes in puts their stamp on it. And uh, and I don't anticipate this taking long. I, I, I don't remember if I said it on any of the podcasts, but this the timing of this coming in September tells me they want to have this wrapped up by November. Because having it wrapped up by November means that they can make a decision on the football program. And so I don't think that Dave Roberts is going to be in this interim job for long. It's a short-term appointment just to make sure that the the offices tick over uh, on the day-to-day. Yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. Uh, in terms of other names but, to... But to, the one good thing he could do is bring back Reggie. I don't... I <laughs> Yes. But, but it's I, out of his... I don't think... He doesn't have the clout. Like, no. USC, whoever the AD is has to have the clout to go to the NCAA and say, stop this. It's dumb. You, but you know, he you know won't that have is? that clout. That's the equivalent of being named. You're the vice president, right? And all of a sudden, the actual president, for whatever reason, hopefully nothing serious, is no longer the president. And you're the president now. But you're the, only the president for like three weeks because there's an election coming up. And you're not running for office. That's like running to like, you know, 
look up is Area 51 for real? Yeah, what's but, there? But, I'm going to tell everyone what's in Area 51. But in that like, position, wouldn't you just go ahead and pardon everyone you want to pardon just because you're like, isn't that what the presidents do on their way out? <laughs> just like, I'm just going to pardon everybody because why the heck not? Like, I mean, you could, but like, except that Dave Roberts doesn't have the power to pardon Reggie Bush. The NCAA does. Yeah. So I just I, I, I can't see it. Yeah. In a perfect world, it'd, it'd be great. But I, I, I don't see in it. a perfect world. Dave Roberts would just go screw this. We're not even going to get their permission. Reggie, come back, lead the team out the tunnel, except that that's throwing a grenade on, you know, on the program when you don't have to then deal with the ramifications of it. And that's right. kind of a dick move. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. Uh, that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. Uh, again, our meetup in uh, Midvale, Utah, which is just south of Salt Lake City, between Salt Lake City and Provo. Friday night, 6 p.m. at Hopper's Bar and Grill. We're going to be there. It's going to be super, super duper enjoyable. Uh, come join us. Come have a beer. Come have uh, fish and chips or whatever the hell else you want to have. It'll be a good, good, good fun time. Uh, until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1USC. Suck it, what's Bruin Show? There you go. Uh, Alicia, give us a final word. The final word is despair. As in, did you listen to the What's Bruin show this week? I did. Is that not the definition of despair? It was a lot of despair. Yeah. I feel bad. Dystopian? I feel feel quite bad for them. And the funny thing is, this has been a generally good week for USC, but like things could take a turn for the worse real quick. You know, I, I mentioned, I meant to talk about it earlier, earlier. I... You know, the other day I saw someone was like, well, what does this mean for USC's football team? Like, could they could they stumble like the Lin Swan thing? Could they stumble with that? I, and I thought that was really, really dumb. And then I sit here and think about it. You have the Lin Swan resignation plus the Devin Williams transfer portal. Are you slightly at all worried about distractions this week? Well, I mean... Plus the road game, like all these things, Utah looming... The one distraction... Maybe, maybe we're nuts. Maybe BYU is going to be... No, there, there is one valid distraction. I don't think the Devin Williams thing is a, is a distraction, but I think there is one valid quote-unquote distraction or thing that could factor in. If you are USC's assistant coaches putting together this game plan and you know that your jobs are literally on the line if you lose because new AD, because hot seat for Clay Helton and all that kind of stuff, is there a universe where you maybe get overly aggressive or overly conservative because you're coaching afraid. I don't think the players will play afraid, although they could because they are Clay Helton advocates and they know that they need to save his job too, but like, right. that's the only narrative that I'll buy into is Which as is being why afraid. I think the offense being such a re- read and react offense yeah. will be fine because in theory that should not slump. Yeah. In the sense that there should always be a counter to, to sort of every move. So, yeah. All right. That's going to wrap it up. Uh, we've got a road trip to go on. A lot of miles to drive. I've got a, I've got a bag to pack. Yeah. Go do, go do that. Uh, we will see you guys later. Until then, see ya. See ya. See ya.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 